From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host for today with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum, uh, our fixed income strategist. Lawrence, how are you today? Oh, couldn't be better, Jeff. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to hop back on the, the podcast and talk all things fixed income. Love it. Uh, we'll certainly have a lot of fixed income. I won't let you have the stage all to yourself, though, because we have certainly a lot of excitement in the equity world uh, as well. So we'll, we'll be somewhat balanced, but certainly uh, we'll take advantage of your fixed income expertise here. And with so many people focused on the Fed, uh, that is certainly uh, a more interesting topic maybe than it sometimes is. So let's um, get right to it. We've got uh, a great show for you today. We have three uh, key topics. The first question is the one that many of you are asking. It's, is this the start of a new bull market or a bear market rally? We're up about 17% off the lows in the S&P 500. And based on some technical indicators, our view is that it's probably more likely the start of a new bull. So we'll talk about that. Uh, second, peak inflation is not mission accomplished. We certainly think we've hit peak inflation, uh, but that certainly doesn't mean the Fed's inflation fight is over. And then lastly, here again, tapping into Lawrence's expertise on fixed income, our credit markets pointing to a soft landing. So let's get right to it. Um, it is um, August 16th as we record this first question, new bull or bear market rally. So I'm showing here on this on uh, the screen the uh, the last few bull markets with the bear markets marked in red, just to show you uh, kind of where we are here on the question being, has this bounce, which is pretty big, uh, 17%, does that mean the bear market is, is over? In other words, will the market retest the prior lows, right? Will we go up 20% before we go back down uh, to those lows in, in June? Uh, the, you know, our, our answer to that is probably bull, but keep in mind that bear market rallies can actually be really powerful and they can last a while. Uh, in fact, um, this data comes to us from our friends at Strategus. The average bear market rally is 32 trading days, right? So that covers about a month and a half and uh, encompasses a 15% gain in the S&P 500. So, you know, we've had a little more than 32 trading days in this current rally, not a lot more. And we got a little more than 15%, right? We got 17 so, you know, it's it's a little stronger than the typical bear market rally, but not totally out of that realm, right? So bottom line, this could still be a bear market rally. It's certainly possible. So, um, so Lawrence, we talked about this in the week of market commentary, two key technical achievements uh, for the S&P 500. Number one, the 50% retracement. Now I priced this chart, uh, Friday midday and it didn't, you know, it closed higher. Uh, so, um, you know, I don't have the latest value on the S&P 500. We're more like 4,300 now. But nonetheless, the key is we crossed that uh, that um, 4,232 number, which was the 50% retracement of the bear market lows. 
So my question for you, you know, Lawrence, is is the market getting too excited about that inflation data from last week? Because certainly that was the, um, you know, the big driver of this, uh, you know, the last few points of this move uh, to get us over this key uh, technical indicator. It's it's possible. Um, you know, the the inflationary data did come in kind of below expectations, so that was a, a good reprieve from some of the the previous inflationary prints that we've seen. The you know the I think a, a bigger story, and this is certainly your domain, but I think the bigger story is just the earnings have come in better than expected for a lot of these companies too. So, you know, we think a lot of this retracement is justifiable. Yeah, that's a good point. No doubt the earnings season has been better than feared. Uh, so there was a lot of pessimism coming in. We have a a slide on um, on earnings here a little bit later. It's a big week for retail, so earnings season is not over, but it's very close. Uh, so, you know, the the good news here is that when you know coming off of major lows, when bear markets retrace more than fifty percent of that big decline, uh, the bear markets always end. Right since World War II, thirteen out of thirteen times this retracement has signaled the start of the new bull. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to see some volatility, right? And so, um, you know, over the next few months, history would tell us that maybe we'll have a modest gain uh, and probably a little bit of choppiness. There's certainly a lot of bears out there. In fact, this data comes from uh, Sam Stovall at CFRA. Uh, after these 50% retracements, historically, the average gains over the next one, two, and three months are 1%, 3%, and 2%, right? So, you know, you're higher more likely than you're lower, uh, but modest gains. So we probably need a little bit of digestion here, uh, and we may need uh, a little bit of a uh, of a pullback. So the, the next um, technical achievement for this market is, is shown here. We broke above the 50% retracement, and we... Uh, broke above the 90% trigger for percentage of S&P 500 stocks over their 50-day moving averages. We have seen this trigger hit at other major lows, essentially signaling new bulls. Similar story to the last indicator. Uh, just some examples of when we triggered it. And you, you can see this on the chart for those of you watching. The, um, the spikes to over 90% don't happen very often, but when they do happen, they're typically shortly after major lows. So some of the times, you, you, you'll remember certainly some of these periods, uh, April 2010, right? Coming out of the 2009 lows, uh, which certainly we all remember, we got the trigger then. Coming out of the uh, October 2011 lows, remember that was the whole Greek debt crisis, uh, which essentially was a bear market. Stocks were down very close to 20%. So we got this 90% breath surge then when you have a lot of stocks above their moving average that shows a market that has a lot of breadth to it, which is a positive indicator about the near term. Uh, we also had one in April, 2016, coming out of that oil and China crisis in late 15. Uh, and then 2019, February, 2019, coming out of the... Uh, it's basically a Federal Reserve crisis, Lawrence, that you remember well in late 2018. Uh, too many hikes and the market threw a temper tantrum. And we ended up coming out of that. I know the low was Christmas Eve coming out of that bear market. It was basically a bear market down 
close enough to 20%. Uh, and we rallied up off of that, got the signal. And then the last one I'll highlight is June 2020 coming off of the lockdowns, that low. So these breadth surges uh, tend to happen fairly infrequently, but at really good times. Uh, and this suggests that um, we are indeed starting a new uh, bull market. But again, it doesn't mean that there won't be any volatility. In fact, uh, coming out of the 2011 lows, uh, we did have a 10% correction in early 2012. So this could look like that. Uh, certainly, we all know there's a lot of work that the Fed has to still do on inflation. So uh, so that's that. Um, really, really interesting uh, looking at some of these signals. Now, by the way, not only is the inflation fight not over, but we have a lot of geopolitical risks certainly to uh, consider that have the potential to push this market lower. Uh, and there are still uh, a lot of folks out there who think that we didn't have enough panic in June to put in a major low. We don't agree in LPA research. Uh, we don't think that's necessary at this point. We got close enough, but uh, there are certainly folks on the other side of the fence that could put this, push this market down. So um, let's go to our next segment. And this is where um, I'm going to rely on you, Lawrence, a lot, um, you know, talking about what the Fed, you know, how the Fed is going to react to the inflation numbers that we just got or the inflation numbers we're about to get. So the question here is, well, it's not really a question. It's to point out that peak inflation is not mission accomplished, right? We we got the peak, it appears. We're pretty confident that the peak in inflation is in. But the key question, and there's your question, uh, how long will it take for inflation to come down? So um, we've got some sh some charts here on inflation, Lawrence. Um, the first one comes from our chief economist, uh, Jeffrey Roach, actually a couple from him. Durable goods prices lead the way down. This just shows, again, the great CPI number uh, that, um, you know, we've made some progress here, uh, no doubt, in bringing inflation down. Uh, but that services number, you know, that's the one that's going to be a little bit tougher to bring down. Do you, do you think, you know, you think services have just got to hang in there and then we can rely on durables to bring inflation down or is that not enough? Yeah, I, I mean, and certainly echoing what we've heard from our chief economist, Jeff Roach. I mean, we have seen durables roll over and, and price increases uh, start to, to wane. Non-durables is likely the next shoe to drop in these inflationary prints. But yeah, to your point, services is likely going to stay higher for longer. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about supply chain disruptions, and that certainly was an issue on the durables, non-durable side, on the good side. Services, it's more about just attracting enough people to fill these uh, these these positions, these open uh, open positions, uh, and until we get you know an increase in the labor labor market and, and getting additional people back into the labor market, you know we could see these service uh, prices continue to stay higher than what we've seen historically. Yeah, certainly that there's a little bit of a sign of stability in 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 services, but. Uh... You know, these are sort of longer duration prices, right? In many cases, um, you know, rents, for example, wages for service jobs, for example, right? These things are are going to be stickier. So that just plays into uh, the narrative that there is going to be. Uh, I mean, it's going to take some time for inflation to come down. So here's yeah, and that's and that's the point that 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 we've we've made all along is that peak is is one thing, and this goes back to your mission accomplished uh, slide. You know, we all expected a peak in inflation to, you know, 
show up here, you know, you know, soon, but that doesn't mean that inflation is going to get back to that 2% target over the next year or two. It's going to take time before we get back into those 2% levels. So um, we're, we're excited that we've seen the, you know, for all intents and purposes, the peak, but the Fed and, and the inflation data has a long way to go to get back to, to normal. Yeah. So as you know, Lawrence, the Fed did say they'll be more comfortable with a little bit higher inflation to kind of offset that long period of lower inflation. So, you know, should the market really focus on 3%, you know, is that kind of a victory uh, or, or do you really think we, um, you know, the Fed needs to be tight until we get down closer to two? Yeah, they, I mean, they've said recently that they want to get back to that 2% target, not just uh, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, it's been other members of the, of the, uh, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee. Uh, I, I tend to agree with you though, that I think that getting back to 2% in, in short order is going to be challenging, especially given the, the service prices. Uh, so maybe they do declare victory at, you know, two and a half, three percent. Um, you know, th their original mandate is it wasn't the two percent construct was put in place, I think, by Bernanke, uh, you know, years ago to kind of uh, anchor inflation expectations because they were worried about deflation or disinflation. Right. So they included that two percent target recently. So in their mandate, it doesn't specify two percent. So I think that there is some flexibility around that number. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I do think that they could declare victory a little earlier than uh, going all the way back to two percent. Yeah, certainly uh, the, the market may have gotten a little ahead of itself in, you know, cheering a pivot because we have a ways to go uh, before we get that or, you know, cuts in 2023. Market's probably getting a little too excited too soon. I think we can all agree. Uh, but, you know, there's there's more good news, I'd say, in this and that the indicators that we follow uh, that reflect supply chain gluts are getting better. Right. There's, you know, there's a Federal Reserve, I think it's out of the Federal Reserve of New York indicator of supply chain pressures. And then we have, uh, you know, evidence that producer prices are coming down. Right. That was was a two part surprise. Good, good news last week. Right. Better than expected CPI and PPI and producer prices, as you're seeing here, do tend to lead to uh, downward pressure on CPI when they fall. And that's indeed what happened. So the CPI probably needs to play some catch down to the producer prices, uh, so to speak, uh, which is certainly uh, good news. Of course, we all care about inflation for the obvious reason. It's, you know, eroding purchasing power. But we, you know, as market watchers, I think we probably care more about it just because of what it means for the Fed. So, um, you know, and Lawrence, not only are we talking about the Fed in terms of, you know, rate hikes, and I know you and the team think we're going to get maybe another point, possibly less, but maybe another point of rate hikes this year. Uh, but you, you know, people often forget that they're also shrinking the balance sheet, right, with quantitative tightening. So explain uh, to our listeners what that means and, and how much of an impact that could have. Yeah, so I think this is going to be a bigger story throughout the rest of this year, early next year, as the Fed continues to wind down its balance sheet. So. Uh, as we can see on the, the screen, the, the Fed has been a big purchaser of treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities uh, to help support those markets. They, they grew their balance sheet up to about $9 trillion, uh, and they've recently announced that they're going to start to let some of these bonds, as they mature, roll off their balance sheet in, a, in an attempt to reduce the size of their balance sheet. The Fed is just not comfortable with 
the the footprint that they have in the treasury market or the mortgage-backed securities market. They want to slowly uh, remove themselves from, from those markets. So the Fed is letting $30 billion in treasury securities roll off its balance sheet every month and, and $17.5 billion in mortgage-backed securities roll off their, their balance sheet each month until September, where they're expected to increase those amounts uh, by by uh, twice as much. So $60 billion in, in treasury securities and $35 billion in mortgage-backed securities every month. And it's, uh, again, in an attempt to reduce the size of, of the balance sheet. This is an experiment that's only happened one other time, and it didn't really go great. Uh, we talked, you, you showed earlier about 2018, 19, where we did see uh, some upward pressure on spreads and yields and, and, and downward pressure on equity prices because of the, the tightening that, that went too far that time. So this is, a again, an experiment that's only happened one other time. It didn't work out well. So there is some doubt that the Fed can actually uh, remove itself from the Treasury securities market or the mortgage-backed securities market completely. Uh, and it, right now, the, the Fed is the primary liquidity pr uh, provider for the Treasury market. So, um, And we know that the Treasury market arguably is the most important market in the world. Uh, so as they remove their, their footprint in there, on those markets, we could see additional volatility. So it's it is something that we're going to continue to watch and, and pay attention to. Um, you know, I, I personally doubt that they're going to be able to remove themselves completely from the treasury market, just given the the importance of that market and the uh, the, the poor liquidity that we're already seeing in, in that market uh, with the Fed participation. So more to come over the course of this rest of this year and certainly into next year uh, as, as the Fed uh, proceeds with balance sheet runoff. Yeah, the, I, I saw a stat I thought was um, was interesting, Lawrence. Uh, this is from Bank of America. They they actually said quantitative tightening through 2023 is worth 7% on the S&P 500. So, you know, from current levels, stocks will correct or pull back 7% just based on QT alone. That, I mean, that seems like a lot, but, but certainly, um, you know, a lot of folks try to uh, compare the QT to a rate hike, right? And, you know, I don't know what you think, but maybe maybe this QT plan could be the equivalent of a half a point hike. I don't know, maybe a little bit more. What do you think about that? Yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty within the, the Federal Reserve itself, actually, in terms of the the uh, the um, the amount of tightening that that would take place by reducing the size of its balance sheet. I have seen the fifty basis point hike uh, equivalency for the reduction of the of the Fed's balance sheet. I've also seen you know twenty five basis points or a, a full percent. So again, th this has only happened one other time. So I think the you know the Fed doesn't even know what to expect in terms of reducing the size of its balance sheet. And I think that's one of the re main reasons why they want to. Uh, remove themselves from these markets because there's just a lot of uncertainty with how this plays out uh, as they as they extricate themselves from these markets. But yeah, a 25 to 50 basis point rate hike in terms of financial conditions tightening sounds about right, according to some of the research that they've put out recently. Yeah, there, there's no doubt this is tightening. Uh, and there's no doubt that uh, rate hikes coupled with balance sheet reduction uh, increase the risk of a policy mistake uh, from the Fed, so that this is this is certainly something we'll have to watch really closely. And probably, I mean, based on you know the fact that they've never done this before, and, and there's there's doubt as to whether they can even pull back from the Treasury market. They are going to go very slowly, slowly and carefully. Uh, some of you may remember the famous uh, Janet Yellen quote: "This will be like watching paint dry." <laughs> so that is 
not uh, very exciting. So one other, um, just one other comment real quick on, on just uh, balance sheet uh, reductions. It's not sure. just the Fed. It's it's also the ECB, the Bank of Japan. They're all they all experimented with this this quantitative easing. Certainly the Fed is further along in trying to reduce the size of its balance sheet. But uh, as you know, if the ECB is able to reduce its balance sheet, as the Bank of England is able to reduce its balance sheet, certainly the Bank of Japan, we, we think, is probably going to be in these markets for, you know, a long time, if not forever. Uh, but again, these are these are kind of coordinated global monetary tightening that could impact, uh, you know, the, the global growth prospects. So um, again, it, it is going to be an interesting thing to watch over the course of the rest of this year and next year, because you know, these are experiments that, that haven't gone great previously. Uh, and now we're having a, a lot more central banks trying to, to remove themselves from these markets. So interesting times for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So um, let's continue with the bond market theme. And, and uh, I'll pose this question to you, Lawrence, is what are the credit markets saying about soft landing prospects? Uh, I know I've seen some of your work recently uh, pointing to the improvement in the credit markets that um, has accompanied this equity market rally. So, um, you know, here we have a chart of of credit spreads. Uh, what are they telling us? Yeah, so we have seen credit spreads tighten over the over the past, you know, six, say six weeks, particularly in the, in the high yield corporate credit markets. Just as a reminder, we we tend to look at the the high yield corporate credit markets as that canary in the coal mine. Uh, you know, high yield markets, uh, the returns are. Uh, you know, asymmetrical in that there's a lot of downside and not a lot of upside. So the, these high yield credit markets tend to be, um, you know, first movers if if uh, macro events are expected or if economic uh, slowdown is on the horizon. Uh, so it is comforting that we are seeing credit spreads tighten. Uh, we did see a lot of uh, widening or, or yields and spreads higher uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, but as the the concerns or threats of uh, of an economic recession have kind of dissipated or waned over, you know, recently. Uh, we certainly don't think there's going to be a recession over the next six months. You know, maybe 2023 uh, is is a higher probability. But uh, as we've seen those economic uh, conditions kind of moderate and 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 things kind of, uh, you know, improve, we have seen spreads tighten, and high yield spreads have have uh, have moved lower five of the last six weeks. So. Uh, it, I'm not willing to say that the credit markets are are signaling the, the all clear signal, uh, but they are moving in the the right direction in terms of uh, saying that you know the the economic conditions aren't uh, aren't as scary as they were say you know six weeks ago. Yeah, when I see this chart, I immediately you know think of the financial crisis, right, and just how much of a credit crisis that really was, <laughs> and so you know this is. This is nothing like that, right? Uh, we're not worried if a company is still going to exist tomorrow. That, that this is not that at all. And so uh, this is a more normal credit environment. Here I am, the equity guy, talking about credit, which is dangerous. But this is a, it seems like a more normal credit market. At least that's what Lawrence, you've told me, uh, and and that tells me that um, you know, at least translating over to the equity side. That you know that twenty three and a half percent correction or bear market that we got is probably all we need, and that suggests to me that you know the economy could avoid recession. Soft landing is still possible. I mean, we're still at fifty fifty for the next year. Now, based on uh, the latest data and the trajectory, we might take those odds of recession in the next year down. 
But, you know, we're still 50-50. There's still a chance of recession. Certainly, we acknowledge that. But um, the credit markets are telling us the soft landing is possible. And certainly, uh, the jobs data and the consumer spending data recently is telling us uh, a soft landing is still possible. So positive signal here. And um, you know, hopefully, those credit spreads continue to narrow and tell us uh, you know, corporate America is still in good shape. So um, let's go to our, our last segment here about you know the, the week ahead. And this is really all about retail this week. So I know, Lawrence, you're happy that your kids are back in school. Uh, so you probably already did some damage uh, at these various uh, retailers or others for back to school. I, I uh, did a little bit of that this weekend. And um, well, it's continued into this week because, of course, we have online shopping. So um, we got a ton of retail reports. We already got a couple here. Uh, Home Depot and, and Walmart were generally well received, especially Walmart this morning. And uh, we'll get Lowe's, we'll get Target, we'll get a number of others. Uh, so not only is it back to school shopping season, but it is earnings season for retail. And remember, this was this was a tough spot last quarter, right? We, we've gotten a few profit warnings from uh, Walmart, Target, and others uh, dealing with inventory problems, the transition away from the pandemic uh, to reopening and then back to something more like normal has been very tricky uh, for um, these retailers to manage. And of course, the inflation putting cost pressures and from a number of different directions have made and supply chain problems have made this a very tricky environment for retailers. So uh, it's it's just been, I mean, frankly, I think you've heard probably if you've been following some of the comments out of uh, retailers this earnings season that you, you've heard a number of them say, this is one of the most difficult environments they have ever seen. Uh, it certainly has been. So this, you know, those types of challenges, right? Supply chain, cost pressures, slowing economic growth, inflation, eroding purchasing power of consumers. The the challenges, geopolitics, the challenges go on and on and on. And yet this earnings season has just really been normal. Um, it's almost as if none of those things are even happening. As companies delivered their typical upside, uh, estimates have delivered their typical reductions. Right on average, earnings fall, earnings estimates fall a couple points during earnings season. That's essentially what's happened. We've gotten the uh, the upside. You know, we started at maybe four percent. Now we're at six and a half. This is fact set data. Some actually have uh, higher numbers. It depends on how you adjust for operating earnings versus uh, gap accounting earnings. Some shops, very reputable shops, widely used. Um, data sources are saying more like eight, eight to nine percent. So uh, how, whatever numbers you want to use, the, the earnings season was was really good. And the reason has been revenue. Uh, we, ha we had about five percentage point upside surprise in revenue this quarter. So that that to me, in addition to just managing costs well, uh, the upside to revenue to me is really the the, the big story this this earnings season. So Lawrence, I know you probably don't follow this as closely as I do, but any observations about about the earnings season and um, you know maybe what it might mean from kind of a credit perspective. Well, I mean, did you did you mention the the headwind that the strong dollar also posed? I mean, we've seen that the dollar appreciate pretty significantly relative to other currencies, so that's certainly been a, a headwind for some of these bigger companies out there that, that generate a lot of revenues outside the U.S. borders. Very good point. Yes, uh, I mean that's basically two to three points off of S and P five hundred profits. 
and yet still uh, companies have been able to hit their their estimate their estimates for Q2 and then the guidance for Q3 frankly has been pretty darn good considering all those challenges. So we're calling earnings season a win as Lawrence you pointed out earlier that is certainly one of the reasons why stocks were up so nicely off the lows and uh, certainly um, have a good chance we think to hit their estimates for the second half of the year now uh, now that they've come down. So we're holding our estimates unchanged for this year and next year uh, and uh, and feel pretty good about them, frankly, um, especially after, uh, you know, the last few weeks. So um, let's close it out by just talking about this week. I mean, we got some weak housing data. You know, it's been pretty obvious that the housing market was going to slow and it has certainly. Um, what else do you want to highlight here, Lawrence? I mean, I guess the Fed minutes will probably get a lot of attention tomorrow. Yeah, and then you know, first, firstly, the the retail sales number. I you know, we we had our investment committee meeting yesterday, and our our chief economist Jeff Roach mentioned that Wednesday is going to be a good barometer in terms of economic growth. Uh, so we do expect to see you know maybe stronger than expected retail sales numbers come in. Uh, so that could be that could be uh, market moving, particularly on the on the fixed income side. But yeah, to your point, the the meeting minutes come out tomorrow. Uh, for the July 27th meeting. It's probably too early to get any sort of hints about a September rate hike, uh, but we will get some additional information on things like, you know, what the neutral rate of interest was, as as you know, Chair Powell mentioned that, that at two and a half percent, they were at that neutral rate. So curious to see the discussions around that. And then again, looking to see what sort of information they, they've talked about or, or can provide about just the, the, the illiquidity in the, in the treasury market and this ongoing quantitative tightening that they're that they're going to uh, pursue over over the next uh, few years. So uh, I think it is going to be an interesting release of, of meeting minutes. And oh, by the way, next week, and we'll have more of this next week, I'm, I'm sure, but they also have their annual uh, uh, you know symposium out in Kansas City, hosted by the Kansas City Fed uh, out in Jackson Hole. So that starts next week. So, uh, you know, it, it, this week and next week are going to be likely some, some pretty interesting weeks as it relates to the uh, the Fed absent any sort of FOMC meeting. So there's a lot of information that, that it's going to come to us outside of the normal channels uh, starting tomorrow with these these meeting minutes. Uh, and then we also have some some speakers this week. Um, you know, Esther George is, is a voting member. She's going to talk on Thursday. And then we have uh, Neil Kashkari, who is interestingly has been one of the most dovish Fed members uh, on, the, on the committee. He's not a voting member, but he's certainly changed his, his tune and uh, is now becoming one of the most hawkish members on the committee. So uh, we'll certainly pay attention to what he says. And then, of course, you know, Tom Barkin on 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 Friday. So it uh, could be an interesting week for for Fed uh, watchers like myself and, and our chief economist. Um, so, you know, certainly uh, a lot of, uh, of information out there that could move bond markets this week. Oh, Fed Fed chat can move stock markets, too. No doubt. Uh, so th thanks for that, Lawrence. I'd you know, having grown up in Kansas City, if I was hosting a Kansas City Fed symposium, I'd probably have it at a barbecue joint there. But, you know, Jackson Hole, I've heard, is really nice. So uh, that that works, too. <laughs> uh, so we'll certainly be watching what we hear from the Fed, particularly Powell next week. Uh, and we'll uh, that'll probably be one of our um, main topics for the podcast in two weeks. So uh, certainly we'll look forward to that. So um Let's go ahead and wrap at this point. Uh, thank you, Lawrence, for joining. I, I think for you know for those of you out there listening that think the bond guys are smarter than the equity guys, now you you have confirmation after hearing from Lawrence. Um, you know it's it's 
frankly, I think this, the bond market is usually smarter than the equity market. Uh, they do more homework. So I, uh, I always pay attention to both. But even as an equity guy, uh, I'll admit that bond market signals uh, can certainly be uh, very insightful. So thanks, Lawrence, for, for sharing your thoughts. Uh, thanks, everybody, for um, listening or watching to another edition of LPL Market Signals. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. We'll see you then. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.